This is the Reset MD podcast. We welcome you to join in on our conversations with fellow physicians. Many of us in medicine reach a point in our careers where we want to make a change, hit a reset button. Wouldn't it be nice to have some guidance from colleagues who'd been there too and have pearls of wisdom to share? These well-being conversations will cover a range of topics, thriving in medicine, physician health, burnout prevention, work-life integration, practice optimization, advocacy, and support. And we'll just have some fun doing it. Listen in and start your reset. Welcome back to the Reset MD podcast. I'm Dr. Sagan Chase, one of the co-creators of the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of talking to Dr. Sarah Richards, a hospitalist at the University of Nebraska. She is an associate professor in the Division of Hospital Medicine at UNMC and the Senior Medical Director of Clinical Experience at Nebraska Medicine. She has been a hospitalist at UNMC since 2011 after completing medical school, residency, and a chief resident year there. She was named the Medical Director of Patient Experience for Nebraska Medicine in 2015. Her role then expanded to include physician and advanced practice provider experience in 2018. Given the evolving landscape in healthcare and high rates of professional burnout, Dr. Richards transitioned from her patient experience role to focus all her efforts on physician and APP well-being in 2021. In this system-wide leadership role, she has responsibility for developing, coordinating, and implementing strategies to improve clinician well-being and enhance professional satisfaction. Additionally, Dr. Richards is the current nominated chair of the Society of Hospital Medicine Wellbeing Task Force, in which she leads a team of national experts to reduce hospitalist burnout. She completed a chief wellness officer course through Stanford University in 2021. We are so fortunate to have her here to share her experiences, and I'm excited to talk with her today. Dr. Richards, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this. I would um, ask as we start to please share a little bit more about you, your work, and your career path, if you wouldn't mind. I'd be happy to. So I tell everyone that I'm a lifer. Um, I've been in Omaha, Nebraska for most of my life. For undergrad, went away to California to learn to surf and hike and experience the coast, but quickly realized that I missed the Midwest people and the feel. Um, so have been uh, back here ever since. Um, I've had um, just incredible opportunities within my career uh, to really find the things I love about what I do. I've had outstanding mentors and teachers who keep asking me the question, what do you love about what you do? Um, so that's kind of why um, as a practicing hospitalist, I started to dabble a little, dabble a little bit in patient experience, loved teaching um, residents, students, other faculty, um, communication skills around working with patients, breaking bad news, family meetings, um, and then um, did that, loved that, and then, and then realized, gosh, there's this incredible connection between the patient, the experience of our patients and the experience of our clinicians, our physicians, our APPs, our team members. And so started, you know, really thinking about that and the intersection there and how all of these things are getting in the way of us really being able to connect with our patients and finding meaning and purpose in what we do. 
And then organizationally, uh, we had a leadership change and, and they came out and said, you know what, we really need to do something about burnout. Um, we have people leaving, um, there's a huge need. Um, so I had the opportunity then to focus all of my efforts um, in my leadership role on clinician well-being. So focusing mainly on physicians and APPs, but get to liaison and work a lot with our other care team members, nurses and things like that. On a personal note, um, I have three daughters. Um, I have identical twin girls um, who are 11 um, and an eight-year-old. They keep me very busy. Um, I have a husband who is a stay-at-home dad, which allowed us to um, raise those three children while I had my career, but now he's back in the workforce as an attorney. So now we're kind of balancing that. Um, so that's a little bit more about me. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. You have a full life that I'm sure takes a lot of, um, balance and integration. Um, and so I, I really appreciate your perspective and it sounds like you really enjoy what you do. And I hope that today that we can share some of that enthusiasm with others so that they might find a, a niche that they feel good in. And the other thing I really love about what you're talking about, um, sometimes in internal medicine, it feels like we kind of separate the outpatient and the hospitalist and we're so different and we live such different lives, but really we, our, our lives in terms of what our clinical day looks like may be a bit different, but how we experience it, I think is still very much the same. Um, and so I love the unity that you bring there to the field of internal medicine. So I might ask you kind of just starting off, what is one of the things you encourage physicians to do as they're looking for clarity in their career? If you're finding someone in your role, um, there in, um, uh, experience for providers, uh, that's struggling. Yeah, you know, for me, it's really um, been taking on more of a coaching mindset as opposed to a mentoring mindset. Um, you know, with junior faculty, residents, learners, you know, other people that I'm that I'm talking with, rather than jumping in with here's here's what I did or here's how I tackled that challenge, a lot more listening, a lot more curious questions, a lot more trying to get to their why, um, and and. Also, um, when things come up for them um, that are challenges, stressors, uh, difficult events, um, being um, available for them in, in being vulnerable. Um, so for example, I have a resident talking about a, um, a, a bad patient outcome and, and they somehow feel responsible or they're having a difficult time you know, getting over that. Um, not being afraid to share that, that me too, that happened to me too as a resident and, and, and here's what was helpful for me at that time. And just allowing people to kind of, to feel less alone. Um, that's been a huge shift for me, I think over my career and especially in this well-being space is um, being my authentic self, being able to be humble, being able to be vulnerable and to show that. So that, that comes up on rounds with my internal medicine team in the hospital. It comes up when I'm working and meeting with a small group of nurses who's, who's really struggling on a unit um, is, is being more comfortable sharing what's hard for me so that it's normalizing for those that I'm talking with. I think that's so important as we've been really not um, trained historically sometimes to be vulnerable. It's to have all the answers, to be there all the time, to be constantly available. And I think that's created some of where we've ended up and we probably allowed it to, to build up in our minds too, and created something in our minds that 
probably wasn't real. It was, um, but it was what we felt like was an expectation there. So I appreciate, um, I think the idea of coaching and sitting with that person in that space, being empathetic to where they are and being available. Time is such a precious commodity, probably the most precious that we have. And so that availability is so um, amazing that you're able to provide that to people. So thank you. Yes. Again, and I would just add to like, I think a lot of people are shy away from those deeper conversations because they're like, well, I'm not a therapist. Like what if, what if something comes up and what if I say the wrong thing? And, you know, I don't know how to help people that are, you know, in a bad spot. And I say, you know what? And I, and I, luckily I get that this amazing opportunity to work really closely with our behavioral health colleagues, psychiatrists, psychologists, and they say the same thing. And that's just, just being present for that person in their time of need just listening, just nodding, just throwing in an empathetic statement, sharing something that, that maybe you, you've had something similar with them. That is so incredibly powerful. You don't have to fix their problem. You don't have to say the perfect thing, but just being there is so helpful and something that maybe they've, they've never had that before. So that's, that's what one thing that I, that I try to not be too hard on myself and give myself grace and just say, you know, all I need to do is listen. Being present, I think is huge. Absolutely. Um, and not solving problems. I think we're just in tune to solve problems. That's what we're supposed to do. You have a problem, come to me. I'll try to help you fix it. And, um, and sometimes it's that way with patients too, to be able to say, I can't fix this cancer. I can't fix this mental illness, but I can walk with you through it. And I will be with you through it. Um, it's hugely powerful for people. Well, maybe a little bit more personally, I might ask if you have a reset story or if yours has been more kind of a gradual evolution of your career and how that's worked throughout your time at UNMC. Yeah. So um, as I was thinking a little bit about this, kind of like, I think you mentioned like soft reset or hard set, hard reset um, kind of before we started our, our interview today. And I feel like there's a, a series of soft resets throughout my training where now that I'm, you know, reading about this and teaching about this, I'm realizing that I had everything. I had imposter syndrome. Um, I had second victim. Um, I, I had a, a one incident in particular where I was in the ICU caring for a patient and we decided, um, the family decided, the team decided it was time to withdraw care. But being in the room, it was a young man, his wife and two kids were there as he passed away. And and I felt um, very connected and very affected by that. Um, there were some other circumstances around the death that were very unsettling for me. And um, I never talked to anybody about it. Um, I never had a brief. I just answered the next page and went to see the next patient. Um, and to this day, I'm still, I still have difficulty walking by that room in the ICU because of what happened there, because I didn't have the opportunity to process that. So it's things like that, that now I'm realizing, gosh, we can do better. We can open these conversations, um, around some of these things that, 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 uh, physicians struggle with, but I'd say my hard reset was in my third year of my internal medicine residency. Um, it's when I became pregnant with my twins. And um, fairly early on learned that um, I had twin twin transfusion syndrome. So one twin getting all of the nutrients, another not, um, and still actively, you know, working as a resident 80 hours a week. It's back when we, we had the 30 hour shifts every four days and all of that. And um, so, so being pregnant was one thing, you know, with twins during a residency, but then also having this additional like emotional weight of 
um, the possible complications, including a, a conversation I had with my high-risk OB doctor about one twin might not make it, and here's what that would look like for you. And so kind of balancing that plus all of the other stressors, um, I actually blocked a lot of that out. I don't even really remember that time. I think I had been, there had been so much that I was dealing with. And then, um, you know, fast forward, the twins were born at 31 weeks, two pounds and three pounds in the NICU for um, one for eight, one for nine weeks. Um, and, you know, I found, I found myself kind of distancing myself from the emotional weight of all of that and kind of like intellectualizing it. Like, you know, I'd go to rounds in the NICU and like, look at their x-rays and I'd like read articles. And so I was like, not really connecting, I think to what was happening. Um, and then, um, five days after my second twin came home from the NICU is when I had to go back to work, um, as a resident. And so. I was pumping every two to three hours, but I really wasn't talking about that. Um, and I got my first like um, uh, rotation evaluation that that had some not positive, like that there was where Sarah was, you know, you know, something I don't even remember. I think I blocked that out, too. But I'm just like, I, I, I can't do this. Like, I, 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 I cannot do this. And Luckily, I had the support of my family and like one incredible mentor who I could talk to. And they helped me realize that like I could get through this, that, you know, I could that they were there to support me um, and and was really able to like change my perspective. And thank goodness for that conversation, because my life and my career have been so incredibly full and it's allowed me to kind of help with other, you know, women who have pregnancy and babies and all this kind of stuff. So that was kind of a reset for me is gosh, like everyone has a story, but we don't talk about our stories at work. And why don't we? Because we can't separate the two. We're humans and we have real life. And so I wanted to, to in any way I could be that person uh, for, for others. What a powerful story. I, that's, I, I envision the halls of Nebraska medicine and I can see just the, the strain and stress in your mind. And those are hard days. Those are very hard days that I, um, learned a lot from, but I can't imagine doing that and balancing all of that at the same time. Um, a colleague of yours, Micah Beachy at the university. Also, when I talked with him, he said he liked to call it work-life integration, not like work-life balance. And I really appreciated what he had to say. And I know others have used that term too. Um, we never turn away from being a mother or a father or a sister or a daughter when we're in the space of being a physician. And um, that's one of the things when I've had children that might've been ill or not feeling well, and I'll say, I just want to be a mom right now. I can't, I'm not going to be, or I, I just need to be a wife right now. I need someone else to take over. And I can't imagine, and, and we, by nature of our professions want to know everything that's going on about that loved one, but realizing that we just have to sit with where we're at. Um, and you didn't have the time or the energy probably to do any of that, to process it emotionally or to process it physically. Um, and what a wonderful, um, beacon you are to others in that position now, because these, this is life. This is how life happens. It's, it's messy. Sometimes it's joyful, but it's also really painful at times. Um, I hope you've had the time to kind of process some of that and feel like, by giving back, you are um, allowing others some space there too. Thank you for sharing such a personal story, Sarah. When you have kind of walked through that, um, I know you talked about 
talking with others, we always kind of talk about what are some of the most important things you reclaim or discover with the life changes you've made. Um, you did mention kind of visiting uh, and, and being there for others in that space and in that position. From your home life, how has that impacted? Um, do you feel like you looked at your role at home a little bit different or have you made changes at home with um, what your family demanded or changes at work after that? Um, because residency becomes a survive and advance mentality, right? <laughs> you, you get through it and then you move on and really we've conditioned ourselves then when we get into practice, we don't recognize the balance um, because you have, you can't, it will feel like survive in advance forever. It'll feel like survive in advance till you would achieve a faculty position or a tenure position, or you, every panel's full at your private practice um, or um, you have a flourishing hospitalist career. So what were some of the changes that you made during that period of time to kind of help? Yeah. I, I wish that I had made more of them around that time. I think more of them have come even more recently, like fast forward 10 years. Um, and I think some of the most notable changes are that um, I've, I've been better about boundaries. Um, I, I think about life um, I think about life being short. I think about, I get 18 summers with my children before they go off to college and I love summertime and, um, vacations. And I, I think about how, you know, there's so much that there's so much more that I can control than I think I believed that I could. Like, I think in medicine, we, we just assume that there's only one way and that this is, this is how it is. And, and we are always told to say yes to everything, to have every opportunity, whether it's leadership or a committee or a teaching opportunity. And I've become a lot better about when I'm asked to do something to take a day or two or three to respond and really think about what that means. Will that bring me joy, meaning, and purpose? Does that align with my career? Will that take away from valuable time and special time with my family. And I never used to do that. I just said yes, and I just did it. So that, that's one like notable thing that I think has been helpful. Um, I also think that the experience that I had um, allows me to um, kind of assume positive intent in others for lack of a better word. So like if I'm, if I hear a story about a, a professionalism issue in a resident, or um, I hear a story about a, you know, a, a doctor's arguing with a nurse or, um, you know, somebody just doesn't seem to be in a very good mood or is very negative or something around me, like in the workplace, um, that used to, to cause me to go, to feel kind of tense and uneasy and how's this gonna go and how, how are we gonna have this conversation? And now my, the, my, like my initial first thought is, oh my gosh, how is that person doing? What are they struggling with? And meeting them with empathy and kindness and assuming, assuming positive intent. And what I mean by that is like, assuming that there's a why for, the, for, for how they're showing up at work and that it's likely something that they're struggling with. And that, that's been incredibly helpful in patient care and meeting my patients where they're at. Um, it's been really helpful in working with my team members and other colleagues. That's just made my work environment like better, <laughs> especially with all the tension and stress around COVID and the aftermath. Like there's a lot of tensions running high and there's a lot of assumption of like negative intent. And, and, and that has just been 
one thing that that I feel like for me has been a big shift in the workspace. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, assuming positive intent is not something that we typically um, do a lot, and so I think that's a really great pearl to people to to take that second. And a lot of what you talked about was even the boundaries and and making make taking the time to think about something before you move forward with it taking the time to stop before you approach that person and say, why, why, why is this happening? Or I'm sure that there's a reason. Um, and if there's not, I'd like to, you know, to understand where they're coming from. Just taking that moment to stop before we enter that space, I think is really important. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You also do a lot of organizational work within um, Nebraska medicine. And I wonder if there are any organizational changes you feel like that have really been paramount in the culture shifting that you've been working to provide there for providers? <sighs> yes. So a, a couple of things to highlight, and then maybe you could pick one if we wanted to explore it further. But um, we talked, we initially started talking about the power of listening. I think physicians and other care team members just need to be heard and feel heard. They don't necessarily need an answer to every question. They don't always need the, the okay, yes, we'll, we'll get you a scribe tomorrow or whatever it is that's the request or the issue. Um, but listening is extremely powerful. So we, we put together um, an uh, organizational-wide listening campaign. Um, and we do structured listening sessions with groups of physicians and other um, healthcare providers, APPs, where um, we come together as a group um, and we first um, talk amongst the group about all the things that are going well, all of the positive things. And so it's definitely like, let's kick this off on a positive note. Um, and then there's really no other point in time during that listening session where people are sharing as a group um, um, as we kind of transition into the opportunities. So everything that, that is an opportunity is, is more quiet and reflective. So each individual that's there gets the opportunity to write down or type um, you know, the best part of their job, but what gets in the way of that. And then, you know, what's the most difficult part of their job. Um, we collect those, um, you know, it's all anonymous, but we're able to do kind of some qualitative analysis. What are the real issues? Not just, are you burnt out? Yes, no, but, but why, what are the issues contributing? Um, and then my favorite exercise is this activity that we call the one wish. And we ask everybody that's there, we say, if this one thing were different tomorrow, it would most um, enhance my professional satisfaction. Like it would, it would be like the best possible thing for me. And then we have them write it down on an index card. We actually have to do it virtually now with COVID, but I like the old fashioned way of uh, you write it down on an index card. They're shuffled around the room. Everyone walks around and rates everyone else's wish from a one to 10, 10 being, gosh, this is such a great idea. This, me too, this would enhance my. And so now we have a list, let's say there's 15 participating. Now we have a list of here's number one, Here, this is 9.6 on average. This is the thing that the group cares the most about collectively and everyone's voice was heard. That's what's so important. Cause I feel like a lot of times when you're meeting with a group and doing a, a traditional listening session, maybe there's one or two or three people that are more outspoken, maybe have a little more confidence or are willing to share. Sometimes that person has maybe more negativity. You know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to um, predict, but this way everyone gets a voice. And then when you identify what you're gonna work on, we also consider what's gonna have the biggest impact, but also what's the most feasible. And then we kind of work together and have like a, a plan there. So. Those listening sessions, I think, have been really powerful and really helpful at getting kind of the system issues that are impacting a physician's day-to-day -day work. 
Um, we've also done an anti-stigma campaign where we um, have encouraged leaders, physicians, care team members to come forward with their stories, their stories of burnout, their stories of depression, suicide, ideation, real life stories. But then the stories, the common theme is that there's hope. You know, I got help and I'm okay now and I'm better now. And just those narratives and those real stories, I think are so much more powerful than just bullet points on a, sl a slide deck or a website with resources uh, for, for those types of things. And then a third thing we quickly realized with our internal um, data that leadership really matters, um, that, that whether or not you trust your leader um, has a lot to do with your intent to stay with the organization and your levels of burnout. So um, recognizing also that the people you know you're more likely to trust. And so developing leadership programs that have that component um, baked in as to how do you build trust and, and what is well-being centered leadership? Dr. Shanafel has published on this and I love his work, um, but, but really, yes, we develop leaders, but how do we develop leaders that um, their behaviors and their efforts continuously enhance well-being on their teams? And so that's another kind of uh, foundational element that we're, that we're working on. Those are all great opportunities and a wide variety of people that you're captured when doing that, focusing on the people in leadership positions that can make, affect some change when needed, uh, but then also to talk, just hear everyone's voice. I love how you described um, the one wish really sounds like a powerful exercise to use really in any arena. Do you eventually touch, like how frequently do you touch each provider in, the, in Nebraska medicine? Is it a yearly thing? Is it a quarterly type of thing? So it's one of the things that, that the way that it started, and um, again, going back to these great mentors that I've had this idea at work with the willing. So, so it's not, everyone has to do this. It has to be an hour. It has to be, you know, off hours. It's, it's working with leaders that really want to, to listen and want to kind of move forward and, and um, are engaged in the process. And so um, we typically do an initial session with a group. Um, and then at the six to nine month mark, we do a report out where we come back to the group and here's what you said, here's what we've done, and here's where we're at. And we kind of use a, a stoplight um, kind of analogy. Like we say, here are the green light items. Here are the things that, gosh, you needed another computer in this workroom, or, you know, you wanted, you know, we wanted to change this order set da, 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 to reduce clicks, whatever it was. Here, here's the green light things. These are already better just in case you hadn't heard, like, here's the things. The yellow things are a work in progress. Here's an update from this work group that was developed to kind of look at inbox um, management or whatever it was. But then the red light, which I think is probably the most important. Here's, here's the, the answer was that we can't do this right now. And here's why. I think that, and, and bringing in leadership often to have those conversations, administrators, whoever that is, because I think when things don't happen, the assumption can be, oh, it's because they don't care. Um, and oftentimes the, the answer is no, because there's, there's true obstacles. And I think physicians and other, other, other people, they, when they understand the why behind why the answer is no, and not right now, there must, they're, they, they're much more likely to, to view the organization's efforts in a positive light and, and to, to continue to build that trusting relationship. So that happens at the nine month mark. And now what we've been doing is kind of following up yearly 
um, as best we can. Um, I've done like 25, so it's hard to continue to follow up with all these groups. So again, working with those that are engaged where we'll just do the one wish activity and it takes 15 minutes and we can do it virtually now. So we have like a way to collect wishes and then um, put them together and quickly be able to vote during a, during a regular meeting. So it's not any additional time. That sounds very organized and you're able to get to the people that, but it probably feels chaotic at times whenever we deal with humans and ideas and how we present things and explain to them right now, we can't, we are not able to do this, but we'll continue to work toward these things that can get a little sticky, but um, applaud your efforts. I'm, I'm sure it has made a positive impact in your workspace for um, individuals that are there. Um, and really that's what the whole idea is about is trying to support and foster and nourish um, those individuals so we can prevent burnout. Yeah. Sagan, so, I'll just add one more thing to yeah. um, the power of relationship building and building trust. Um, so often I hear they or the organization, um, but not really talking about an individual person. Um, and in, it's in, and it's so easy to assume negative intent when we don't know the people that we're talking about. And so I often ask, you know, our senior leadership team, would, would you be willing to come to a meeting with the, you know, cardiology division or just whatever group it is to, 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 to listen and to, to discuss this issue and to provide an update? The answer is always yes. Um, but um, it's really powerful. We, I mean, we also, um, we have our CEO has dinner um, with a small group of physicians. We just had one this week um, where we have like six to eight physicians, our CEO, myself, and we just have fun. <laughs> we just, it's a casual atmosphere. We really get to know each other um, um, outside of work. Um, and they get to know our CEO as like, a, again, a human being who is an incredible person doing the best they can during a very difficult time in healthcare and they see that. And so once you meet people, once you know people that trust builds, and I think that that is like a core concept and a thing that we need to be, you know, really thinking about in this wellness space as we move forward is that relationship. It's the difference between sending a text and having a face-to-face -face conversation. When you, you know, it's real easy to, to make those comments that maybe aren't as, um, uplifting or positive when you have not put that face with a name. And so making humanizing those, those individuals is very helpful. And so many of the things you've talked about today, Sarah, are foundations for trust, listening, being present, setting those boundaries, um, to know that that person will be with me when I need them, um, will listen to me, will be present, but also that I know what their boundaries are. Um, I can trust that they will be open to me to tell me where they're, where they're at as well. Um, and I think, like you said, that's really the foundation for all relationships, not just those in medicine, our personal relationships, our professional relationships, um, and really enhances those parts of our lives. Um, some pearls of wisdom. We kind of talked through the organizational change. I loved the kind of the the organizational wide listening that you talked about and the anti-stigma campaign, and then focusing on the trust building with leadership. Um, and then we talked about coaching rather than mentoring and being present, listening, um, and being vulnerable. So knowing that we don't have to have all the answers for individuals. Uh, and then personally, I appreciated what you had to say about the boundaries, like we've talked about 
sitting back, taking a minute, uh, asking, is it going to bring you joy, meaning, and purpose to say yes or no to this um, idea and finding that it will be aligning with your career and with your family, be able to integrate with your personal uh, endeavors as well. And then assuming positive intent, I really felt like that, uh, that can be a paradigm shift for some people uh, when we are constantly going at things from a defensive standpoint, but that can be exhausting too. So I think assuming positive intent gives us kind of a breath of fresh air to um, approach things with a different lens and be helpful there. Are there other take-home points that you'd like to share with people? I have a few rapid fire questions. I was just going to ask you that aren't as hard to, to kind of wrap your head around, but I thought we might wrap up before we head into something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, you know, I, the, the pandemic during the pandemic, I learned to breathe. <laughs> I know it's so simple, but man, is it powerful to just even take four deep breaths and I get, I get nervous about telling people to breathe because I, when, when you're, when you're speaking with physicians who are really struggling, really burnt out, sometimes the last, last thing they want to hear is something they can do. They want to hear what can be done to around them. So I'm really careful about that because I don't think that the focus should be on the individual. I don't think we can resilience our way out of this. Like I, that, I definitely don't feel that way. And as I've practiced some of these things myself, they help. So it's that balance. Um, and especially being a leader in this space, I, I really um, am thinking hard about how do we help people help themselves and empower them and let them know that the system has their back and is, is wants to hear their voice and, and co-create a better system. So that, that for me might some breathing, <laughs> yoga, meditation, going for long walks, um, meetings that I'm just listening to. I, I walk while I listen to them, um, routinely. Um, if I'm meeting one-on-one -on -one with somebody, I'll ask if it's okay, if we can walk and meet, um, those have been huge little micro practices, just a minute or two, just to take like a walk around the block, uh, during a difficult day, just to de-stress or, or when I'm rounding. Um, and then, uh, two, um, not being afraid to get help when you really need it. You know, I have a coach. It's been phenomenally helpful. Um, I have a therapist. It's been phenomenally helpful. So I think it's important. I think we're not very good at acknowledging or recognizing when we're not doing well. And I think we're even worse at getting help. And so I just, being in this space, I figured I better try it. And so I did. And it makes a difference. It absolutely does. And I think part of that is just setting aside the time for you personally. Um, we tend to not, not do that. It's, I have this list and I have to get through it. I have a group of patients. I have to see them today. So honestly, sometimes just taking the time to sit in the space with someone to listen. And sometimes when those things come out of our mouth, you go, oh, that sounds so much different when I, when I verbalize it than when it was in inside my head. So very good. Very good. Um, a few, just like I said, rapid fire questions. Why don't you share with our listeners an ordinary moment of joy in your life? So you said rapid fire and now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't come up. With no, there's nothing fire. rapid about it. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> still, I still like to lay on a blanket in the backyard and look up at the trees. Like, and it remind it immediately takes me back to being a little kid and it's so peaceful and I love it. It is sounds peaceful. 
What's one thing that has helped your time management or efficiency in work or home? Just kind of a logistics thing that you might've employed. Uh, joining really early Zoom meetings while still in bed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, what are you currently reading? Um, I am reading um, 4,000 Weeks, um, Time Management for Mortals. Oh my gosh, it is so good. It is not life hacks to figure out how to do more with less time. It's how to experience every moment of your life to its fullest. And it is an incredible book. Oh, that sounds excellent. And by the way, 4,000 weeks is on average how long we live. <laughs> so it's helpful oh in thinking about, I mean, yeah. how are we living up? How are we living and showing up in our lives? Right, exactly. What's one thing you always take when you're traveling? Um, I usually take a candle. Share a little bit about that. (laughs) I, I love uh, scents bring me back to like wonderful times and memories in my life. And so I love bringing a candle to, 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 to have those smells with me wherever I go, especially if I'm in a foreign place and then I have a familiar smell. Does it remind you of the place you travel to then later? Yes, absolutely interesting way of creating memories. I like that. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, Sarah, I really enjoyed our time together. I really appreciate all you've um, shared with our listeners and um, imparted a lot of knowledge and pearls and tips for how they might be able to live their life in a meaningful fashion, both professionally and personally, and also some places where they might be able to make some adjustments and changes. Um, Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with today? No, I, I'm well, I guess I would just say to give yourself grace. Um, you're doing the best you can, or maybe you're not even doing the best you can because of the extraordinary circumstance, circumstances of our time right now. I think we're really hard on ourselves. And I think just know that you're, that you're okay. And, and that if you're struggling, you are definitely not alone and that there's help available. Um, so yeah, give yourself grace and then give others grace too. Thank you so much for your time today. Great words of wisdom. We enjoyed our time together. I enjoyed it too. Thanks for listening in on this conversation at Reset MD. If you'd like to reach out to us and continue the conversation for well being, email us at resetmdpodcast at gmail.com.